how many of you have a list of questions that you'd like to ask God when you see Him in heaven? Yeah, quite a number of people. I, I do too. I think it's, it's interesting how many things come up that we wonder. You go through the Scriptures and you come across something and you, you don't understand it. I think, I think a good practice, anytime that you have questions that you're going across along in Scripture and something comes up, you should write it down. Right, I don't know what this is, but write it down. It can be you know, in a journal or whatever. But you write down that question and then you pray about it because God says He'll reveal answers to us. So you write it down and you pray for God to reveal it. And it might come that day. It might come 10 years down the road. But pretty much anything that I've ever wanted to know about Scripture, God has revealed at some point. And then you can go back and look in your list of questions and see what God has answered Eventually, we'll, we'll learn it all. My sister shared a question the other day that she'd like to ask God. She said, you know, when, when Noah, after the flood, God sent the rainbow to Noah to mark the, his promise that he'd never again flood the world like that. And so she was wondering, well, if, there were, if that was the sign that there would never be rainbows again, were there never be flood again, were there rainbows before that? Did anyone ever see a rainbow before the flood? And so she said, I, I want to ask God that. Did he like change the, the properties of light somehow? And, and, and there's, there's people that have various theories on that. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us for sure. Uh, I would kind of guess, I mean, it, it's possible that there were rainbows before that, but I would kind of guess since God used that special sign that there probably weren't, that nobody had ever seen a rainbow until the day that God put one in the sky after the flood to show Noah, this is my, this is my seal, my promise that you're not going to, ever have to worry about the world flooding again. And there are different theories about how that might have happened. Some people think that maybe there was a canopy of um, water or ice above the atmosphere that was suspended through magnetics, electromagnetics, because uh, you know, the, the world is, is a giant magnet. And so they think that maybe if there was this canopy of water or ice, it would have blocked the, the sunlight, it, you know, would have refracted the sunlight in such a way that you wouldn't see rainbows. And then other people say that there might not have been any rain before the flood of Noah. That the, you know, when we hear about the Garden of Eden, the water, the water of the garden came from under the ground. Because there was, I mean, we have subterranean water today. We get most of our water from under the ground. And back before the flood, there was a whole lot more. Before God struck the earth and the fountains of the deep broke open and flooded the world. And so people say, well, maybe there was no rain before the days of Noah. And so if there's no rain, you can't see any rainbows. And then there are other things. I thought, you know, we've, we've discovered that the atmosphere before the flood and the atmosphere after the flood are different. If you go back and you test the air pockets that have been caught in fossilized material like amber and stuff, you can measure the air and they find that the pressure was different. The amount of oxygen was different. The amount of carbon dioxide. So the gases that were in the atmosphere before the flood were a lot different than they are after the flood. And you can tell that by looking at bugs. Did you know that bugs breathe through their skin? Insects, they don't have lungs like us. They just have little holes in their skin. And oxygen diffuses through those holes into where it, it exchanges you know, oxygen and carbon dioxide. And they can only grow so big because if they get too big, then the oxygen can't get from the edge of their skin into where they need it in their body. And so they're limited in size by the amount of oxygen in the air. Well, you find fossils of, of massive bugs. I mean, dragonflies with wingspans like this and you know, huge insects 
So obviously there was more oxygen back in the pre-flood days. And it's the same thing with dinosaurs. They found dinosaurs that their nostrils are too small to support life. They would have never been able to stay alive with these nostrils because there's just not enough oxygen in the air. So it shows there must have been you know, different levels of oxygen and, and different atmospheric pressures. And so light changes, the speed of light changes depending on what it goes through. So if you put light through glass or through air or through whatever medium it goes through, it changes. You can actually, they, they've, they've found that if they shoot light, you know, a laser into the right crystals in the right directions, they can actually stop light. You can freeze it, like you're freezing it in because of the medium that it's going through. So it, it, you can slow it down, and, and so maybe the, the atmosphere, you know, the gases and the pressures change the speed of light enough that it just didn't quite refract. If, whenever you see a rainbow, what you're actually seeing is the sunlight behind you goes into the raindrops in front of you, and it bounces around inside the raindrops. The light goes in, and then it bounces off the back of the raindrop. Well, there's a, there's a couple of, if it hits the right angles, there's two angles that it will then bounce back and the light will separate. You've got to have white light, like sunlight, because that's made up of all the colors, and it'll separate the light, and it'll bounce back, and it'll show you a rainbow. And there's, there's one angle that'll do that really well, because the raindrop is rounded, and there's another angle that'll do that kind of good, and that's why sometimes you'll see a double rainbow. And, and actually, if the world, if the planet wasn't in the way, you'd see a rain circle and not a rainbow because it's a round raindrop and it bounces the sunlight back. And so it's just, it's real interesting science that, that goes into effect and, you know, who knows what kinds of things might have happened to make that different before the flood than after. But I think that that's a great question to find out, you know, what was it like before Noah? Were there rainbows? Was there rain? Was the atmosphere... You know, could we see the sun like we see the sun today? Interesting questions, but I think one of my big questions is going to be answered just by entering into the spiritual realm. And that question is, what does the world look like to God? When He looks at the universe, when He looks at us and sees things, what does He see? What, is it, what does He perceive? Because we, all we can see are the colors of the rainbow. I mean, we can see the visible spectrum. We can't see radio waves. We can't see microwaves. We can't see sound waves. Can God see that kind of stuff with His eyes? Yeah. And, and we, we have no idea what it's like to see through the eyes. Well, how does God see time? You know, if you, if you move, really, the, the faster you get, the closer you get to the speed of light, the slower your clock goes. So if you are moving at almost the speed of light, everyone else would look like they're frozen in time. What's it like to see time from God's perspective? What's it like to see the world from the, you know, the, the radio, electro radio transmissions? What's it like for God to see that stuff? I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm looking forward to asking Him, but when, when I become a spirit, you know, we get our new spirit bodies. When I transfer out of this body into my new heavenly body, I think I'll, I'll know already because I'll be seeing things like God sees. And yeah, hopefully it'll be a little while. But First John 3 starts off like this. It says, See what love the Father has given to us, that we should be called God's children. And indeed we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we're going to be like when we're in heaven, we don't know yet. 
we know that whenever it, is, whenever it is revealed, we will be like Him, like Jesus, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has, has this hope focused on Him purifies Himself just as Jesus is pure. So when we get to go see Jesus, we're going to start seeing things different. We're going to see things like He sees things because we're going to be transformed into the kind of spiritual body that He has now. And, and, and there are so many things that we just don't know. So many, things that, so many things on earth that we have no idea about. After talking last week about how our foundation for sharing the Gospel shouldn't be scientific knowledge. That when we share the Gospel, our foundation should be the Bible should be the Word of God because science is always changing. Science is, you know, one day it's one thing and the next day it's another thing. I, I thought it would be fun to share some, since I shared that our foundation ought to be the Word of God, I thought it would be fun to kind of share some scientific ideas um, and demonstrate that though it's not our foundation, though, though you know, world knowledge is not our foundation for sharing the faith, there is plenty of evidence, plenty of things around the world and in the universe that we can see and test and measure and understand that support what the Bible says. And, and I think it's good to know about these th- kinds of things because you can know the truth. And only if you belong to God can you know the truth. You know, regardless of the fickleness of popular science, which changes from year to year. A few hundred years ago, scientists thought that fire was caused by some exotic substance inside things that burn. That there was some weird material inside anything that you could catch on fire and that fire is what allowed those things to burn. And now we know that fire is really just an oxidation process. That the, you know, down at the subatomic level, that when you burn something, it's given off electrons. And those electrons, you know, as you're oxidizing elements, it releases energy and that becomes fire and it's this self um, promoting this self-sustaining oxidization of material and that's what causes fire and we know that because we can you know we've broken down the theories and we we can see things with microscopes and and you know scientists believe that 100 years ago maybe a little bit longer longer than that that there was some kind of ether in space that there was some material that allowed light to flow because you got they figured you have to have a, a a substance a medium for for light to be able to flow through it because if you don't have anything well how do how do light waves or electrons or whatever how do they get from one place to another if they don't have something to travel through so they figured there must be something in space that allows an ether that allows light to get from the sun to us and today we know that light and all the radio waves travel through empty space just fine they don't need an ether and that was just something that, uh, that was a bad theory. Something somebody came up with. The people like Johannes Kepler. You ever heard of Kepler? They've got a, a, a satellite floating in space named after him. He's a, a famous guy. There's another guy named Rene Descartes. And they used to think, back in their day, that light travel was instantaneous. That the moment you turn on a light, it instantly was at your eyes. There was no travel. There was no speed. And and then a guy named Ole Romer, who was watching the moons of Jupiter through a telescope, and he was measuring when things, when the planets went around Jupiter, or when the moons went around Jupiter, and when the, they were eclipsed by the sunlight. And he noticed that the closer that they were 
to us in orbit, the closer Jupiter was, because it's a, an elliptical orbit, not a perfect circle, but when Jupiter was on our side of the sun, and we could see it, or, or not our side, but closer to the, to the sun, and we were closer, then it took less time for Jupiter's eclipses to show up in our telescopes. And when it was farther away from us in orbit, it took more time. And he said, I know that the, the eclipse, the, the speed of the moons around Jupiter don't change. There must be something else going on. It must actually take time for light to travel because it takes more minutes for the light to come from Jupiter's moons, you know, bounce off the, from the sun back to us when they're, it takes less time when they're closer and more time when they're farther. Light must actually have a speed. And they were, they were able to, it wasn't perfect, but they were able to get a general estimate a close estimate of how fast light was traveling and say, wow, light is traveling. And then it took, after that, it still took 50 years for the scientific community to accept that and say, okay, we'll, get, we'll accept the fact that light isn't instantaneous. So science is always changing. You know, science just means knowledge. That's what the word means. And so as we study, we're trying to, to gain knowledge about things, to figure things out. And, and everybody knows about, you know, there's lots of things like that that happened as we've learned, you know, we've been able to research and develop tools to be able to study things. And, and everybody knows you've all heard about when people thought the earth was flat. You know, there were a lot of people that thought the earth was flat, even though the Bible's always said the, the earth is round, the earth is, a, is not flat. And, and there were people thinking that, that the other bodies in the heavens all circled the earth, that we were in the middle of, of the universe and our solar system went around the earth rather than us going around the sun. People believe that. And you've all heard of that kind of stuff. And, but science is constantly changing. Popular science never stays the same. Sometimes it's because we discover something new that we didn't know before. Because we, sometimes it's because we develop a new tool that allows us to look you know, like microscopes and telescopes and those kinds of things. And, and, you know, and sometimes it's because we're looking for a good excuse to get away from God. Sometimes popular science is developed because we want to exclude God from the equation. When I say we, I mean the society, not necessarily you. I hope you're not trying to exclude God from the equation. Um, and, and, you know, one change in pop science, and maybe you've heard about this, is a little thing called the theory of evolution. And there's this guy named Darwin, maybe you've heard of him, who was a theologian and not a scientist. He had gone to seminary. He had never gone to, to, to study science. And he lost his daughter. His daughter died. And he was very upset about it, as anyone would be. But he decided to blame God for killing his daughter. And he was not happy about having a creator anymore. And so he was on a cruise, on a ship, cruising around, and he was looking at things, and they went to these islands, and, they, and he saw some, some finches, some birds. And he noticed that some finches had different sized beaks than others. That they, Some had thicker beaks and some had longer beaks and they, they noticed that the different finches had different kinds of beaks. And he thought, maybe these birds are adapting to their environment, that their beaks are changing depending on where they live and what they eat. And, you know, If they need to crack open a shell, maybe they have a thicker beak. If they need to, to dig into something, maybe they have a thinner beak. And, and depending on their environment, their, you know, what they're eating that their beaks will, will adjust to that environment, which isn't a bad guess. I mean, that's you know a good guess. And, but then he went way beyond the evidence and 
decided to propose that because finches' beaks were able to adapt to environmental conditions, that therefore all life must have stemmed from a single ancestor, which takes a huge leap of faith to believe. I mean, but it also gives you an excuse to ignore God. Because if you don't need God to create all the creatures according to their kinds, then you can pretend there is no God and pretend that all life came from some single-celled organism. That all plants and animals you know, just grew up on their own. And you can pretend there is no God so you don't have to feel guilty about being angry at the God who supposedly killed your family. I mean, it's, it's, those kinds of things happen. And many scientists have taken God out of the equation. And, and not only do they try to link all the plants and the animals together somehow, they, but they also need a way to produce life in the first place. Because if you don't have God, you've got to figure out some sort of magic trick to get non-life to turn into life. And that's very, very, it's, it's impossible to do. Even the atheistic apologists these days, now that we've done more research since Darwin's age, now that we've been able to investigate and test things, they've found that there is just no way to explain life on life springing up on earth there is just it's impossible the statistics the, the the possibilities just they just don't exist and even atheists who go around and say there is no god are trying to come up with ways to explain why there's life on earth and they say things like well perhaps aliens seeded our planet with life you know that whether it was germs on a rock that crashed into the planet or or intelligent life somewhere that started, you know, that sprang up something here somehow, that, but they come up with these crazy explanations because they would rather put their trust and hope in little green men than in a creator who promises to hold them accountable for their choices. And that's why people don't want to admit God, because if you admit God, then you admit his authority. If you admit God, you admit that he is just in holding us accountable for what we do with his property. You know, this is all God's property. The world, he made it. Us, he made us. The universe, he made it. And he's allowed us to use these resources. He gives us the oxygen to breathe. He gives us the food to eat. He gives us the money to spend. He gives us the tool, you know, all the tools that we developed came out of the minds that he, everything there is belongs to God. It's his stuff. He made it. He made the resources. And he says, you are accountable to me for what you do with those resources. What you do with your bodies, what you do with the earth, what you do with the, with the property that I allow you to use, you are accountable for the decisions that you make with my resources. And if you abuse them, and if you vandalize them, and if you destroy them, and if you misuse them, I'm going to punish you for destroying my property. And, and, and people don't want to hear that. People don't want to be held accountable. I mean, how many times have you been caught in a wrong action when you're a kid and your parents say, did you do this? And you say, uh-uh. I mean, people don't want to admit the truth. And, and, there's, a, and there's a lot of scientists who don't want to admit that we are accountable to God. And so, and, and because it's all that... the. the because people don't want to think about it, we've got this unscientific myth of evolution of life that it just sprang out of somewhere or aliens deposited it that you know, we can't really explain it scientifically, but we accept it 
and we teach it in our schools, and that's all that's taught in schools these days, and so it's accepted by much of society that's grown up being taught that in school because they haven't been given any options to actually think about. And, and even though it's contrary to the evidence, we still accept it. And, and so, you know, if I were Satan, which I'm not, don't worry, but if I were, I would get some demons to pose as aliens. Because if people, if aliens came and visited our planet, and all of a sudden these aliens, you know, and they had fancy technology and neat stuff, and they started talking about um, how, you know, they started saying, well, we've got this different perspective of the universe. We are more enlightened than you. And, you know, even NASA today is looking for alien life. They're sending probes and things all over the, the universe looking for some sort of evidence that there might be life on other planets. Used to be back in the, you know, back when I was a kid, that if you were like SETI, if you were groups looking for aliens, you were wackos. Nowadays, everybody's looking for alien life because there's no other way to explain life on our planet than for it to have it come from somewhere else. And so, if aliens came to the planet and said, we're enlightened and we have this fancy technology and we want to tell you about the, the real God. We want to tell you who you should really be worshiping and we want to tell you uh, that you should kill these Christians because they're all fake. You know, if I was Satan and, and ha- I'd have some demons pose as these you know, alien imposters because don't you, the world would go crazy about it, wouldn't it? If real aliens came and visited our planet and started telling us new things that we should believe, uh, you know, at least they at least they would know that they could come to our country and, and get free health care and food stamps. But but the world is alien crazy these days, and 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 I'm not saying you know I, I love Star Trek and and Star and those kinds of sci-fi things, but I, they're all really just guys in makeup. It's all really computer. I don't believe in aliens. I don't believe there's any life anywhere else. I mean, it's is it possible? I guess so. But the Bible doesn't say anything about. God doing anything anywhere else. So I believe we're it. I believe God has created this universe for us. Created this planet so that we could enjoy life, so that we could enjoy exploring the, the world around us. And, and anyway, the bad theories don't stop at the origins of life. If you want to get rid of God, then you, you have to also, not only do you have to come up with some way for non-life to magically turn into life, you also have to come up with some other way to get all the stars and all the planets and all the galaxies and everything that's out there, all the stuff in the universe. So scientists invented the Big Bang, which proposes that nothing exploded into everything. Very scientific, right? But I mean, if you don't have God, you've got to have something. So we just say that, that this quantum thing happened for no reason and created the universe for no reason. And, and it turned into stars, you know, that, that all this stuff kind of started clumping together like cat litter. And it turned into stars eventually. And then those stars started producing all the elements so that we could be made. And, and, and mind you, it's just convenient theory. I mean, it, we, we can't really measure it because we can't go back millions and billions of years to actually see what was going on. So it's all just a nice, it, it gives you an excuse to have a universe without God. Because you need something to produce all the elements. You need something to make stars and something to make planets and something to create all this stuff. And, and, but people don't want to admit the truth about God. And so they say that, that all the stuff that made you and the planets came from the stars. And you've and you probably heard people on TV talking about this kind of stuff and saying how we're all stardust and how your right hand came from one star and your left hand came from another star 
And really when it comes down to it, the stars are our creators. And I thought we had given up worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars a long time ago. I thought that was old news, but apparently it's popular again to worship the stuff in space. And, and, but even in this modern era, people will believe in anything to try to deny the one true God. They'll take anything other than a God who holds us accountable for our behavior. And, and get this, way back in the 1700s, there's a guy named Immanuel Kant, and he got this idea that our solar system came from the sun, that the sun ejected this, this tail or this you know, massive material, and that stuff cooled down and eventually gathered together and it turned into the planets. And, and that's where the universe, that's where the galaxy, or the uh, solar system comes from. And they still teach this idea in college. They talk about the, they call it the, um, the nebular hypothesis. And guess where Kant got his, this idea from? About 20 years earlier, another guy, his name was Emanuel Swedenborg, and this guy was a mystic. He was, which tells you about what his heart, well, who his heart belonged to. But he had gone to a bunch of seances, and he said he through these kind of spiritual alien contacts with men on other planets. He said that there were people from other worlds like Jupiter and Saturn that were giving him information about our solar system. And so from these men on other planets, he learned that our solar system came from the sun and he shared that idea with Kant and Kant and, and then there were other people, you know, Pierre Laplace who, I mean, and these were smart guys. They were astronomers and they were mathematicians and, and they just accepted this from this guy who got it from men on other planets. They didn't do the math. If they'd have done the math, we had the technology and the math even back in the 1700s to disprove that theory, but they just accepted it because they needed somewhere for the solar system to come from. So they ex- accepted it. And, and it still it became popular and it's still hanging 300 years later. In our modern era, it's still hanging around and being taught in universities. I mean, maybe, you, maybe you've heard that idea. Maybe you remember that from school. But, but get this. A hundred years ago, we knew that ni- over 99%, like 99.89 or something like that, over 90, almost 100% of the mass in the universe is in the sun. That's how big the sun is. It's almost 100%, not the universe, in our solar system. And the planets take up a point zero something percent of mass. That's how small they are compared to the sun. And with all that mass, the sun's angular momentum is only about 2% of the solar system. Which basically means that the spin of the sun is just not fast enough to account for these planets that are spinning around it so fast. And, and it's, it's like the, if, if the sun was to spit off material to form planets, they would be moving a whole lot slower than they are today because the sun just doesn't revolve fast. It doesn't turn around fast enough to create the orbits that, are, uh, that are, our planets are in. So if it did eject material, it would start looking like the Milky Way. You've seen the Milky Way that has the, the thing in the center and then the spiral pieces that are spiraling off. That's what it would look like. It would just be like tearing itself apart because the middle is spinning around and the outsides just aren't go in the right speed. And so the sun only has 2% of the angular momentum. So the orbiting planets are zipping around the edge so fast on Earth. Do you know that the Earth spins at about 1,000 miles an hour on the surface? 
We're, we're traveling around 1,000 miles an hour. Well, we're traveling around the sun at about 1,000 miles a minute. I mean, we're just this cruising speed. that We're going so fast that there's no way we came from the sun. Because if we came from the sun, we'd be just kind of turtling along and probably be reabsorbed from the sun's gravity. And, and if the material for the planets had come out for the sun, they'd just never be able to get as fast as they're going today. And it would be increasingly impossible because the, the farther you get, the bigger the planets get. Saturn and Jupiter are massive. Even Neptune and Uranus are, are there. They're huge, huge bodies, and there's no way to get them spinning around the sun as fast as they're going. If you've ever taken a rope and spun it around you, or maybe put something heavy like a rock, you know, you can do it for a little while, but you make that rope longer and longer, and it's harder and harder to spin. You put a, a, you know, put a bowling ball on the end of a rope and see how much you can spin it around. Now make that rope a mile long. There's no way you're going to spin that bowling ball. And these planets are so far away from the sun, it just does not have the momentum to be able to spin these planets through gravity the way they're spinning. So some other way, there has to be some other way for the planets to get there. And even today, there isn't a good theory for how the planets could have gotten in their orbits. We just don't know. We don't, the science doesn't have a good reason that the planets are there. I mean, they say they have to have come from somewhere else. They have to have like injected themselves into orbit from some other place in the universe, is what science says. You know, it's like when the space shuttle lines up with ISS. It's this very gentle, precise alignment in order to get it in the right perfect orbit. And that's what they say, these massive planets came from some other place in the universe and then just perfectly inserted themselves in orbit around the sun. Which is impossible. But we need some way for it to happen without God. So we accept the impossible because we don't want to accept God. And, 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 there's, and, it's, and we have three pairs of planets, so they would have had to come in in pairs. Like Earth and Mars, the spins are almost identical. I mean, and as a matter of fact, there's three twin systems. Like Uranus and Neptune, they spin at per, almost, they're all within 3% of each other. And Saturn and Jupiter, they spin about the same rate. And then Earth and Mars spin about the same rate. And so it's these, they would have had to fly in in pairs, like they're acrobat, you know, aeronautics. And, and, and even Earth and Mars, we even have basically the same tilt, about 23 and a half degrees. They were both tilted just about the same. I mean, it's amazing how much stuff is thrown in here that we refuse to accept that God just put it there. We refuse to accept that this intelligent, all-powerful Creator said, let there be. And speaking of, of planets, come back tonight. And uh, I've got all this stuff that I dug up on Mars. And you can find out what Mars has to do with the flood and with Joshua and with Daniel and even with Jesus. It's, it's kind of wild stuff. So I'll talk about that tonight when you come back. But in the midst of all this, we have this amazing book. And this book not only describes our origins, where we came from, where the universe came from, where the planets came from, where life came from, it also explains you know, not only how those things were created, but why those things were created. It explains why all these things are here. And it goes on to teach you how you can have a good life in this universe on this planet. How you can have a long life. How you can have a prosperous life. And then it backs up its own authority by fulfilling prophecy. By saying these things will happen and then they happen. And, and historical accuracy by never being proven wrong.
by any sort of scientific discoveries or archaeology. You know, there's nothing that has ever come forth that has discounted Scripture, ever. And, and not to mention that when people apply this stuff, when they live the way the Bible says, it transforms, it transforms not only individuals, it transforms nations. I mean, America was built on biblical principles. We've talked about that before. The Bible transforms entire nations. And we've seen that in history too. It talks about entire kingdoms and, and empires being transformed by the power of God's Word. It's an amazing book. And it describes where we came from and why we came from. But instead of following where the evidence leads and accepting the eyewitness account of the Creator... People keep teaching broken theories that don't work when you really measure it out. Even when they're, even, you know, when they're provably impossible. When they're mathematically impossible. And that's pop science. That's popular science. So when somebody argues that most scientists agree about something, whatever it is, it doesn't have any more credibility than when, than when most scientists believe that bleeding people would help to cure them of illness. Or that, that doctors washing their hands was a crazy idea. You've, you guys maybe heard of Ignac Semmelweis, who he was telling his fellow doctors, hey, if you touch a corpse, wash your hands before you go and deliver a baby. Because there were kids dying, mothers and babies who were, had these terrible infectious diseases, and they died these painful, agonizing deaths. And he said, hey, if you wash your hands, that's not going to happen. And they said, you're crazy. And he argued over and over. you got to listen, there's something going on. We don't know. They didn't know about germs back then. They said, there's something. You Wash your hands. And the Bible has said for thousands of years, hey, washing your hands is a good, healthy practice. And the Bible has said for thousands of years that if you... that the, you know, the world is round, that it's said that our blood keeps us alive, you know, people who were bleeding people in order to try to cure them, if they'd have read the Bible that says the life of the blood, the life is, of the body is in the blood, they'd have known, hey, don't bleed them. That's not healthy. That's not good. And so our culture is all about being wise in its own eyes. And it was that way hundreds of years ago, and it's that way today. But when it comes to reality, there's a whole lot of people in the world who are selfish, who are prideful, who are... are full of lust and greed and all sorts of evil behavior. And you cannot disconnect a society from God and hope to do well. It just doesn't work. Tell me if this doesn't describe our modern culture. This is Isaiah 5 at verse 20. It says, Those who call evil good and good evil are as good as dead. Who turn darkness into light and light into darkness. Who turn bitter into sweet and sweet into bitter. Those who think they are wise are as good as dead. Those who think they possess understanding. Those who are champions of drinking wine are as good as dead. Who display great courage when mixing strong drinks. They pronounce the guilty innocent for a payoff. And they ignore the just cause of the innocent. Therefore, as flaming fire devours straw and dry grass disintegrates into flames, so their root will rot and their flower will blow away like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord who commands armies and they have spurned the commands of the Holy One of Israel. Our, we talked about how our nation is starting to degrade morally rather quickly. And our only hope as a nation is to return to biblical values as our guide for personal life and public policy. 
Without God, we're just going to keep going down the, the path to destruction. When it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to talking about the Bible and telling people that it makes sense and, and sharing the knowledge that we have of the real world and how all the evidence points to the truth of Scripture, I think we ought to have the attitude of Peter and John. Remember, Peter and John were out there preaching the Gospel. They're telling people about what Jesus did and what He said. And, and, and the Jewish leaders brought them in. They said, you guys got to stop saying this stuff. You cannot preach and teach in the name of Jesus. It's not right. You can't do it. And, and they were you know, following the world's values. And, and Peter and, and John said, listen, you can choose for yourself if you want to think it's right or wrong. But we cannot stop talking about the truth because we've seen it. We've heard it. We were there. We know it. It's a part of our lives. And there's nothing that's going to stop us from telling the truth. So even if the whole world in unison tells you that you shouldn't teach from the Bible, I'd say you're a lot smarter to go with God's Word than with man's Word. And God, as the only one who was around in the beginning to actually see where things came from, in His own testimony testimony of how we got here started like this. He said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was without shape and empty and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep, but the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. And God said, let there be light. There wasn't some explosion of nothing for no reason. God said, let there be light. And 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 there was light because God said, let there be light. And God saw the light and it was good. And so God separated the light from the darkness and called, called, God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning marking the first day. I think another good question for God, which will probably be self-explanatory when we get there, is what kind of light was it? Because it was before the sun and the moon and the stars. And John explains in, in the beginning of John's Gospel that Jesus is the light in the beginning. He was there in the beginning and He was, is the light. And, and Revelation says that in heaven He'll be the light again. At the, that there, there will be no day, there will be no night because God Himself will be the light. And, and so what kind of light is it? What, is, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What, there are some interesting scientific ideas about this kind of stuff that, you know, that connect with all that. We'll save that for another time. But the point I'd like to drive home this morning is that science and religion are not opposing ideas. Science just means knowledge. So the more knowledge you have, the more you're able to investigate and understand. And and since fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible tells us, if you want to make a good practice, good science, then you better start with God. And that just because some person works in a particular field of of study or research or or industry, or just because they have a PhD tacked on behind their name, doesn't mean they know the truth. The universe and everything in it is obviously designed. And, And the evidence supports biblical creation. It's called the anthropic principle. When we look around the world and and see that it, it looks like somebody engineered everything in order to support life on earth. And people say, no, but it's just, it's just a random accident. But because, and even though you might know all this scientific evidence, I mean, I've studied a lot of this stuff, and there's a lot of great evidence out there that points to, to biblical truth. But just because you know it and can explain it doesn't mean people are going to accept it. 
But it's not because they know more than you. It's not because they know less than you. It's because they've rejected the truth of God. They don't want God. They don't want to accept God because God will hold them accountable. Romans 1 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give Him thanks, but became futile in their thoughts and in their senseless hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And, then, and I think we ought to be asking questions. I think we ought to be investigating the world around us. I think science is a good thing. I think the tools we've developed to do science are, are, are amazing. But a couple of verses before that, before it says they claiming to be wise, they became fools, we're told that we can understand the attributes of God through the things He's made. That we can get to know God better by studying His creation. And that's why science was invented by Christians hundreds of years ago who said, the Bible says we can get to know God. Let's start investigating the creation that He's made so that we can get to know God better that, that understand His attributes and what He's like by the things He's made, because that's what the Bible says we can do. And so, we can actually get to know God better through good science. And, and by good science, I mean looking at the evidence through the lens of God's Word. Because there is no more accurate instrument by which we can measure the truth that God has revealed. This is the book of truth. And if you walk away from truth, then you're going to be looking at evidence through the the lens of mistruth, of lies, of misinformation, of things that don't make sense. But you've got to believe them because you don't want to accept God. You know, Spock always looked at things, the alien, and said they're fascinating. Fascinating. And I think the world around us is fascinating. The things God have made, they're just, it fascinates me. And I love science and I love the exploration. I love digging into things and solve the problems. And while the rest of the world is worshiping stars as our Creator, and they suppress the truth of God through their unrighteousness, you declare the truth by living in righteousness and preaching the good news of the Gospel. Preaching the truth of God. When the world declares the sky is falling, you know, to talk about how we're all going to die because the sun's going to explode and, the, and you know, there's global warming and the, the ice is melting and, and the People on the coast are going to drown and, and, and the, it's going to kill us. You can remind them that, that God, you know, that the truth says, God promised to Noah while the earth continues to exist, planting time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night will not cease. That the, the global warming they should worry about is from Second Peter 3.10. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And when it comes, the heavens will disappear with a horrific noise and the celestial bodies will melt away in a blaze and the earth and every deed done on it will be laid bare. And even though you want to reject God, when it comes down to Judgment Day, there is you can't reject Him because you'll be, you'll be standing right in front of Him and every deed will be laid bare. Every word, every thought, every intent will be laid bare and you will be judged and held accountable for your actions and your choices. And therefore, we should fear the Lord. And we should turn to Him and ask Him for forgiveness and ask Him to cleanse our lives and help us to start living the way He's designed us to live and, and, and take His instructions at face value and live out the way He's called us to live because we can have a good life and have a life that is honorable and that is courageous and that is good and kind and, and, and that we'll find wisdom by following the Lord. That we fear the Lord and you'll have wisdom. And you follow Jesus 
And when you follow Jesus, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Let's pray. God, we love You. We're so grateful that You were willing to give us so much when we don't deserve it. That You were willing to die for us when we didn't deserve it. That You were willing to give us Your Spirit when we don't deserve it. That You're willing to set us free and, and clean our lives up and help us to live righteous lives when we don't deserve it. And we're so grateful that You're willing to give all that out of Your kindness because You are so good. Help us to understand Your truth and to share it with the world because it is such good news. When the world has fallen apart, it's such good news to know that You can redeem and You can restore and You can save us. God, help us to tell the world about You because You are so good and You deserve it. In Your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.